Revelation 19 is a turning point in the book of Revelation. It is the moment when the people of God begin to celebrate God's final victory over evil. Anybody know what happened on March 23rd, 1743? Anybody remember being around that time? It's been a little while ago, right? That is the day that a music piece by George Frederick Handel called The Messiah was performed for the very first time. It was performed in London, and in attendance that night was the King of England. And when they got to the crescendo moment, the big moment, which is, you know, what song is it in that? Hallelujah Chorus. When they got to the Hallelujah Chorus, and that musical had built, or that music had built to that moment, the King of England was so overcome that he stood up and remained standing throughout the entire final performance. Which means that today people still stand up. Now, I've heard all kinds of explanations about why people stand up when the Hallelujah Chorus is played, but that's the origin of it. Um, Susan and I wanted people to stand up when we left the church. So, we had the Hallelujah Chorus played when we left. And there's very... Let me just tell you, as a guy who has gone through months of wedding planning, who has gone through moments of hearing all of the details, when the final words are said of that wedding, there are very few songs as appropriate as the Hallelujah Chorus. All right? I mean, y'all, y'all know details of weddings, right? Cordell's, y'all had a wedding recently. Marty has got a wedding this weekend. His son Daniel's getting married to Rachel this weekend. And weddings can involve planning, right? And so at the end of our wedding, we sang the Hallelujah Chorus. Everybody stood up. Well, tonight, we're going to look at the Hallelujah Chorus in Heaven. What's interesting about it is, the Hallelujah Chorus in Heaven, when they start singing it, they don't stand up. Right? What do they do in heaven when they start singing? They fall on their knees. There's nothing wrong with standing up. In fact, we'll talk about that a little bit. There's nothing wrong with standing up. But in heaven, when they start worshiping and praising God, they don't stand up. They fall to their knees. So following the destruction of Babylon, and immediately before Jesus comes again to earth, heaven will perform its own version of the Hallelujah Chorus. Heaven will not stand, rather they will fall down in worship. The song will be sung in celebration of the judgment of the great harlot Babylon, celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Hallelujah Chorus is in response to chapter 18, verse 20, and the command there, and it's in anticipation of chapter 19, verse 11 through 21. There is in this moment nothing less than unabated, unhindered worship that breaks out in heaven. Worship that is extremely instructive and inspiring for all of those who love the Lamb. And who follow Jesus. What I love about it is, it is worship that just happens. It's not planned. It's not thought out. Nobody's concerned about how many verses are being sung. Or what the songs are. Or what the sermon might be. 
or whether the roast is going to burn for lunch. It's just worship. And people in this moment are going to give all that they have in the midst of it. Chapter 19, verse 1. After this, so the, just the, remember, this isn't a chronological thing. This is just next, or as I keep telling the story, after this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation, glory, and power belongs to our God because His judgments are true and righteous because He has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and He has avenged the blood of His servants that was on her hands. A second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! A voice came from the throne saying, Praise Our God, all you servants, all you who fear Him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah! Because our God, the Lord God, the Almighty has begun to reign. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory because the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and His wife has prepared herself. She was permitted to wear fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I'm a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have the testimony about Jesus. Worship God, because the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Hallelujah! The word hallelujah occurs only in this passage in the entire New Testament. The only place that it's there. Hallelujah is, uh, comes from two Hebrew words, halal, meaning praise, and yah, meaning Yahweh. And so it means praise Yahweh, or praise the Lord. And what we see here in this passage is saying hallelujah, singing praise the Lord. They do it for various reasons with great energy. First of all, we see they worship God for His salvation. I love how it says this. After heard this, after this, I heard something like the loud voice. The two words there for loud voice are actually phonin, megalin. Phonin, megalin. If you reverse those, it sounds like megalin, phonin, megaphone. So where they got the word for megaphone means a loud amplifying voice. Something that amplifies your voice to make it louder. Well, this hearing of John sounds like a great voice of a vast multitude. It is a number beyond comprehension. Angels may be in view here because the saints appear in verse 5. So this is part of heaven worshiping. This is this angels. Now think about this. The angels giving praise and honor and glory to God. And they're doing it because he finally executed what he said he would do in judging the evil of the world. Imagine if we get frustrated with what God allows sometimes to continue on this earth, how the angels 
must feel. If we get frustrated sometimes and say, How long, O oh Lord, are you going to allow this to happen? The angels who are there in perfect harmony with God must look and say, How long, O oh Lord, are you going to allow these people to mock you? To make fun of you? To turn their backs on you? And so when God finally, in the final way, takes out the evil of the great evil of Babylon, of the corrupt system of this world, the angels begin to say, Hallelujah, it's time! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because He is true and righteous. He has judged. Again, this is where the Holman Christian standard I have sanitizes the words there and says notorious prostitute when the word there is very great harlot or very great whore. He has judged her. She corrupted the earth. He has avenged the blood of His servants. The angels look down and say, we have been waiting for God to do what we know God is capable of doing. What God has every right to do. And you ask the question, well, why is God delaying? Even now, we say, why is God delaying? Well, Scripture tells us that answer as well. It says that He is patient. He desires what? That all men come to know Him, that none should perish. And so God's delaying is not because of weakness, it's because of mercy. He's wanting more people to be a part. What the angels remind us here, though, is that our God is a saving God, a glorious God, a powerful God, the true God, the righteous God, a judging and avenging God. He is no docile or disinterested deity. He sees everything that happens. He knows all that happens, and in the end, He will make all things right. most popular movie of this year, and perhaps the biggest grossing movie of all time, is a movie that's been out just a few weeks called The Avengers. The idea behind The Avengers is that it's a group of people that when the earth is attacked, they will eventually win back what was taken from them. God here avenges the blood of the saints. All those people through the centuries that have given their lives in following God will be avenged. And when it happens, heaven breaks out in chorus. They see this justice in God's salvation. That this world has murdered the innocent saints of God. That The redeemed and the angels recognize, worship, and applaud that God has done what is right. We will see the 24 elders and the four living creatures here. In fact, in verses 4 and 5, we see the 24 elders and the four living creatures for the last time in the book of Revelation. They were there from almost the very beginning and they've been there all along. This is the last time we will see them. And they say, Amen, which just means truly, or that is right, or I say it is true. Hallelujah. And then the voice comes from the throne. They worship God because He has righteously done 
what he had the right to do. But they also worship God because he is in complete control. Verse 5 and 6 say that there was a voice come from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our God, Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. So you have this voice from heaven. It could have been an angel. It could have been one of the living creatures. It could have been one of the elders. What is crucial is not who is the voice. What is crucial is what does the voice say. Then the first thing that we see is that we are to praise our God. We are His and He is ours. One of the reasons people love Psalm 23 so much is because of the personal nature of that psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He leads me beside still waters. The idea is that we have a God who personally cares. All you servants of God, not a few of you, not some of you, all of you praise Him. It tells us that His servants are those who continually fear Him, reverence Him, honor Him, care more about what He thinks than anyone else. There's a... There's a part in here that says that all of them, both small and great, which means little people, big people is the literal translation, but that means known, unknown, great and obscure, famous and, well, maybe not infamous, but not as famous, right? There's a great uh, story of a guy named Bob Longacre. Anybody know Bob Longacre? He was a Wycliffe... Bible missionary and translator. And he spent his life doing that. And one time somebody said, don't you think you've given your life because nobody knows what you do. And he just said, men don't know, but God does. Big, small, insignificant, significant. We're to honor God with our praise. And we honor Him for His power. It says that there's this Great multitude, like the sound of casting wa- cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder. We were at the Tennessee River um, from Sunday afternoon till last night. And Phil, Susan's dad, and uh, his wife Karen have a place right on the river, overlooking the river. You can get out on the porch and you're over the river. And that song just came out, over the river, through the woods, grandmother's house. We go, all right, so we were at grandmother's house over the river, but we weren't through the woods, all right. And we... We went out and boated Sunday. We went out Monday, all day Monday. It was hot Monday out on that river. And Tuesday morning, we had plans to get up, 8 o'clock, get out on the river, be there till 10 o'clock, I mean till 11 o'clock, go eat lunch and come home, be home by 2 o'clock and fall out and go to bed. And about 7.30, the thunder hit. I don't know if y'all got much rain here yesterday morning, but it rained on the river. And that thunder shook the house. Now you can think, we've seen lots of things. We see lots of things that are impressive in the sound they make, or the rumbles, or the power. But how many things do we see in nature more powerful than thunder? To a Middle Eastern mind of their day, of Jesus' day, wouldn't one of the most frightening Awesome events have been whenever it thundered. 
You know the thunder that rolls and then the thunder that pops. And they say that it was like the sound of loud thunder. Most people think this are the people of God. The saints of God proclaiming who God is. It was a deafening noise. I'm glad that there's no deterioration in heaven because all of our ears would be shot after the first worship service. And they proclaim, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! It says the Lord God, and then it uses this word, Panto Krator, which means omnipotent, almighty. It's used nine times in the book of Revelation. In a book where people were struggling to wonder if they were going to make it another day, nine times God is described as the one who holds everything together. It's only used one other time in the whole New Testament and nine times in Revelation. And a Greek scholar by the name of Mounts, who is uh, Robert Mounts, he wrote the textbook I took Greek out of, said this word means the one who holds all things together in his control. It's an omnipotent, all-powerful God. And then there's this interesting thing. It says, He has begun to reign. And that's interesting because we teach that God's still reigning at all times. So what's different here? What does it mean He's begun to reign? Hadn't He been reigning? Why has He begun to reign now? Anybody want to? So what's different here from now? It's finished. Here's what I like to call it. I like to call it the reversal of the Wizard of Oz. You remember the Wizard of Oz, right? We're off to see, anybody want to sing and dance? We're off to see the Wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz, and they get to the Emerald City, they get to Oz, and they get there, and what happens? Curtains pulled away, and there's this little bitty man back there. One of my favorite lines in all of movie history. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right? And so there's this great, powerful Oz, and they pull the curtain away, and it's nothing. Here's what's going on with God. Right now, God's in control. I mean, if God were to cease doing what God is doing, this universe would go into chaos in a split second. God is holding all things together. But at this moment, the curtain's going to be ripped away. And instead of us being demoralized by how small the guy behind the curtain is, we will be awestruck with how big he is. It's as if... You remember the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. What happens in Revelation 19, you don't have to pray that anymore. Because His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason that God is not reigning now like He will reign then is because He has allowed things to happen. And what happens here is they start shouting, He has begun to reign. What is now a reality in heaven is a reality now on earth. Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come has arrived. 
And then we get to be a part of the celebration. You ever been to a really good party? I mean, just a really good party. I mean, I know we're Baptist, but I mean, we have fun sometimes, right? I mean, just one of those that you you laugh till you cry till you you you, you eat. It's good food. I mean, just something you look forward to and that you enjoy every minute that you're there. That has nothing on what we're going to experience at the wedding of the Lord and His bride. There's a specific reason, I believe. There are many reasons, but there's one reason in particular I want to talk about it tonight. That God chose to relate His relationship with His people to that of a husband and a wife. One of the reasons is, the biggest parties that people knew in that day were weddings. There was a betrothal period where they were agreed with one another, we're going to get married. Kind of like our engagement, but more serious than our engagement. And it lasted sometimes for a long time. And so they waited in anticipation. And as the wedding approached, we talked about this a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, the bride, I mean, the groom would go and he would go to the bride's house and he would get the bride and he would take her home. And there would be a procession following him as they went, partying, singing, having a great time. And when they got back to the house, they had a party for seven days. Anybody ever been to a seven day long wedding? You know what most brides and grooms tell me when I talk about getting married? We just want a short ceremony. Let's just get it over with. Short and sweet, that's it. You don't have to, and I always tell them, I will only do about a 45 minute sermon when you're standing there. Short and sweet, let's get in, let's get out, let's get to the reception, let's get the pictures taken, let's do all that, and let's get out of here. Alright? I remember, I mentioned our wedding already, but um, we... uh, we got married in Inglewood, and uh, in Jackson, not Inglewood, in Nashville. We got married in Inglewood, Jackson, and uh, we had the reception. And Susan's dad, at that time, had been pastor at Inglewood for close to twenty years, and so we 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 had a reception. We were on our feet for a long time with everybody that wanted that sweet little second grade girl that came. Uh, when Phil came as pastor, was suddenly getting married. They wanted to make sure they were there and see her and see her dressed up as his only daughter. And I was close enough to Dyersburg, all these Dyersburg people drove up. And so we were there for a long time. We got done with the wedding. We got done with the reception. We changed our clothes. We got ready to leave. And we went and got in the vehicle. And we were driving a little old Honda Accord. All right, one of those that used to have the lights that flipped up. I don't know if you. I mean, we had one of those. That's what Susan's car was, and that's what we were driving. People had written stuff on the sides and all of that, and got in the car, and we we're all waving, and you know, Susan and I, we were leaving Jackson, flying to Hawaii. That's where we did our honeymoon, and then we were not coming back to Jackson, and so this was our goodbyes. We were stopping Susan. We got off the plane at. 8 o'clock in Dallas-Fort Worth, Susan had a meeting for school at 10.30. So, I mean, it was like, life hits you, let's go. And so, we're leaving. And as I wave over here to my mom and dad, I get back to the wheel, and her brothers are standing in front of the vehicle. And they've got those little bubbles, and they're just blowing them, saying, you're not leaving. And they stood there for like, you know, four and a half hours. I don't know, it was a long time. Like, the delay was there. God says that once this happens, there's no delay. It is a celebration. 
the feast begins and the party is unbelievable. The bride is prepared. It's prepared only because the Lamb of God has taken away our sins. We have been made ready by Him. We are pure and it's a blessing. It it says in verse 8 that she was permitted. I love that word. That's the word there that means she was allowed or was granted the opportunity to wear fine linen, bright and pure. The idea there is she shouldn't have based on her own merits, but she was allowed. Grace was given. There's no reason we should be able to be in a relationship with the Lord, but God allows it. In contrast to the apparel of the harlot in the last chapter, the bride is fine, clean, and bright. And it is a privilege To be at the banquet. Blessed. The fourth time in the book of Revelation. The word blessed is there. That we get to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we see that it's all worthwhile. Because the Lord and His Son are true. There's integrity in what He says. They say they're the true sayings of God. There's testimony in what he says. (laughs) John bows down and worships this angel. And the angel goes, no, 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 no. I'm just like you. You worship God. In fact, I love this. He says, I am a fellow slave with you. And your brothers have the testimony about Jesus. That's what I love about this. Then we'll finish. This angel or being or whoever it is makes a point to show that we will be unique in heaven. The angels don't have a testimony about Jesus like we do. He identifies all of us as those who have a testimony about what Jesus has done. On earth, when we sing the Hallelujah Chorus, we stand. In heaven, they fell down and worshipped. Standing's fine for now, but when we are there face to face, standing will no longer be appropriate. In fact, in our culture, the most honor you can just about give a person is to give them a standing ovation. But in heaven, standing ovations aren't good enough. We will fall to our knees loudly worshiping the Lord. My grandmother, Granny Nell, was a lady that loved the Gaithers, Bill and Gloria Gaither. In fact, at her funeral, we ended her funeral. She died on uh, February, or her funeral was on February 29th. On a fifth Sunday, February 29th. Her funeral, the last song we sang at her funeral was... It is finished. And just to be honest, when you do a funeral bulletin, it looks strange to have concluding song, It is finished. But one of her favorite songs from that group that they would sing is The King is Coming. The King is Coming. 
what I love about chapter 19 is there comes a day, and we look forward to the day, when we no longer seeing the king is coming because he's here. There's a difference in somebody coming and being here. When my kids know my grand, their grandparents are on the way, when Mama Trish and Daddy Jim or Granddaddy Phil, Miss Karen are coming, they ask me, guess what? I just turned off the phone. Mama Trish and Daddy Jim, they're on their way. Well, where are they? Well, they're in Dyersburg. They just left. Hey, Dad, where are they now? Well, you asked me about three minutes ago. They're probably not out of Dyersburg yet, but they're on their way. Well, when are they going to be here? Well, they'll be, you know. And you just keep, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. But there comes a moment when we hear the knock on the door. And it's no longer they're coming, it's they're here. And we look forward to the day when we no longer have to sing the King is coming because the King is here. And what follows in the rest of Revelation is the glorious understanding of what happens when the king is here.